Hello, members of the Resilient Catholics community. Dr. Peter here. We are in week 40. This is the Interconnections Talk for week 40. It is all about shame and parts. This is such an important topic, a central topic. And many of you know that I did a 13-episode series on shame in the Interior Integration for Catholics podcast. Over 10 hours of material, episodes 37 to 49, all on shame. Back in those days, the podcast was called Coronavirus Crisis Carpe Diem. Let's just start with a quick review. We're going to circle back to what we covered last week in week 39 in the RCC, which was all about parts in the body. So a few basic principles here. We are all embodied beings. We are body and soul composites. And it's so important that our innermost self be embodied. When we're blended, when we are not in self, the self is not as present in the body. The self might not even be connected to the body. And also parts can be embodied or not embodied, right? There's a whole spectrum of the embodiment of parts. We talked about the effectiveness of internal family systems for medical conditions. Schwartz and Sweezy on page 79 said, quote, healing exiles and liberating protectors can have a positive effect in a wide variety of medical conditions, end quote. And clinical experience has shown that parts can deliberately impact all kinds of biological processes, immune responses, organ functioning, genetic predispositions can be exacerbated or not. There's other physical, bodily, and medical conditions that can be impacted by our parts. It's very clear that parts can exacerbate medical conditions, make them worse. Sometimes they do this intentionally in order to further their agendas, the ways that they are trying to help, but sometimes it's unintentional. So the ways parts use the body, again, this is from Richard Swartz, drawing from his book, Internal Family Systems Therapy, second edition. Excels use the body as a signal for help. Managers use the body to exert control. Firefighters use the body to either distract from emotional pain or to counter the over-inhibition of managers. So exiles, the body is a message board for them. Exiles often hide out in the heart, gut, or back because they use the body as a signal for help. Managers, so their need to control can be expressed in containing, suppressing, holding, and freezing. And you're going to find that much manager activity is expressed in the muscles and the fascia, the connective tissues in the body. Firefighters using the body to distract from emotional pain or to counter the over-inhibition of managers. They activate the endocrine system, the nervous system, in the service of fight or flight. They can also bring up all kinds of arousals and cravings, desires to distract from the emotions that they view as threatening. So the steps for using IFS with medical conditions, taken from Chapter 5 of the Internal Family Systems Therapy 2nd Edition book. First, you want to make sure there's not a clear, obvious biological or physical cause for the medical condition. You want to have reasonable medical evaluations and workups done first. We don't want to neglect the impact of what's actually going on biologically. Second of all, really being in self really having that natural recollection. And if you have that, then the steps are to focus on the physical symptom, to be curious and listen, to speak directly to your symptom as though it were a part of you. You can treat the symptom as a part of you. Third step, witness whatever the part wants you to know about the symptom and about the meaning of the symptom, the backstory behind the symptom, all those questions, right? Who, what, where, when, why, and how of the symptom. 
Fourth, if no part seemed to be involved with the symptom, ask if any other part has information about the symptom. Fifth, reflect on how you feel about the symptom and how you feel toward the part that is connected to the symptom. And sixth, ask for parts who know how to heal your body, either generally or in this particular area. We also discussed the caveats and limitations of IFS for working with medical conditions. All of that is in week 39. But today, today we are discussing shame. Shame. I really believe that shame is the primary problem that we have in the natural realm. I'm not talking about moral problems or spiritual problems here. I'm talking about natural level problems, natural level disorder. So much of it goes back to shame. Shame gives birth to so many secondary problems. And we tend to focus on those secondary problems. We tend to focus on the problems that are further downstream, the symptoms of shame. Today, we're getting to the root of so much distress, so much disorder in the natural realm. And shame is five things. There are five elements to shame, five ways to think about shame. First, a primary emotion. Shame is a primary emotion. Second, shame is a bodily reaction, a bodily reaction. Third, shame is a signal. Fourth, shame is a judgment. And fifth, shame is an action. So five things, primary emotion, a bodily reaction, a signal, a judgment, and an action. Let's go through these carefully. Shame. Shame as a primary emotion. Primary emotions are those emotions that we feel first as a first response to a situation. They come up spontaneously. There's no time to reflect. And shame is a, an emotional response to a real or a perceived attack. That attack could be coming from someone else or it could be coming from within one's own system. It's often a response to rejection from another person or rejection from another part, if it's within our own system, and it is tuned into the loss of relationship. Shame is a bodily reaction. When people experience shame, their cortisol levels go up. They leave the window of tolerance, moving into hyperarousal. That's the fight or flight response, revving up, the sympathetic activation, heart racing, breathing quickens, pupils dilate, the blood rushes to your extremities, your hands, legs, feet. The body is getting ready to defend or attack. Or the other way you can leave the window of tolerance is to the downside. That's to hypoarousal. That's the freeze response. That's that dorsal vagal shutting down. That's a fainting response, numbing out, curling up, disengaging, dissociating. That's the hypoarousal response. Either way, bodily reaction. All right, so we have shame as a primary emotion, shame as a bodily reaction. The third one is shame as a signal. Shame is a signal that there is a lack of attunement or even a more serious threat in one or more of our important relationships. And what shame does is it inhibits other emotions, thoughts, sensations, beliefs, or behaviors that are perceived as unacceptable to powerful others who we need. Shame, in other words, keeps us in line. It keeps us from being rejected. Shame gets us to be really conservative, to play our cards carefully so that we don't risk rejection. Shame is a survival mechanism. It can help save us from potential terrible consequences. And that's really important because we are social beings. That's the third. 
Shame is a signal. Fourth, shame as a judgment. Shame as a judgment about who we really are from the perspective of a critical rejecting other. Now that could be another person or if we've internalized shame, that could be a critical part of us. We look at ourselves through the eyes of critical, angry, or disappointed other people, often a parent or other caregiver. Then we take that inside. Shame as a judgment. And then fifth, shame as an action. Shame as a verb. In other words, to shame. Shaming is an action that is intended to cause someone else to feel inadequate, worthless, unlovable, like a loser, something like that, for being or doing something that the shamer feels is wrong or undesirable. We can shame others, others can shame us, we can shame ourselves, others can shame themselves. Now, I want to take this into the realm of parts. I want to start talking about parts, right? Shamed parts. Many, many people have a part that I call a shame bearer. And shame bearers question whether you are acceptable to God and whether you're deeply loved by God. Shame bearers bear the burden of relational injuries. They bear the burden of relational wounds. Those parts, those shame bearers deeply desire love and affection and nurturance and healing. But shame bearers are so often suppressed by protectors. The shame bearers often have a deistic God image, experiencing God as distant, disengaged, disinterested, and uncaring. Shame bearers bear the brunt and the effects of attachment injuries, and they often experience themselves as unloved and unlovable. Now, there are some other parts that can also carry shame, right? Abandoned parts. They're often abandoned because they are activating shame in the system. Right. So abandoned parts carry intense emotional pain and distress. They carry the weight of abandonment and isolation. They feel victimized, frightened, hopeless, needy, deprived, lost. Sometimes they feel even inhuman. Right. These parts often have a diffuse sense of identity and they feel very hollow. They question maybe whether they even exist. And they often bear the burdens of neglect, including feeling neglected by God. A third part that can often carry shame is an isolated part. These are parts that feel very alienated and alone, disconnected from society, different from other people, not included in any group or community, including the church. Isolated parts feel very lost and very alone. They may wonder if God exists or if he really cares. All those parts are exiles that can carry shame, shame bearers, abandoned parts, isolated parts. Now, psychiatrist Donald Nathanson, back in the 90s, came up with this model of the shame compass, four defensive scripts for avoiding shame. This is how we avoid shame. First, to attack the self. Second, to attack others first, preemptive. Third, to withdraw and isolate from others. And fourth, to avoid inner experiences. Four defensive scripts for avoiding shame. First, attacking the self. Second, attacking others. Third, withdrawing and isolating from others. And fourth, avoiding inner experiences. Let's go deeper into each one of these and discuss how that might play out with our parts within our systems. So first, attacking the self. In self-attack, the person sees the shame as valid, as real, as deserved, And it turns anger inward 
toward the self or toward part of the self-system. Self-criticism and self-deprecation often follow. The intensity of the self-attack depends on the degree of self-contempt and disgust. Those parts utilizing self-attack seek the shame for the sake of trying to maintain relationships. Shame is a signal, which can lead to deference to others and attempts to conform to decrease the likelihood of further shame, of not being isolated. Right? This can actually lead to depression. So there are certain parts that actually frequently do this. For example, there might be a self-sacrificer a manager who focuses excessively on meeting the needs of others, even at the expense of your dignity or well-being. This self-sacrificer might have an acute sensitivity to the pain and the needs of others and feel ashamed if you're not focusing on those needs because that's that may be what others have expected you to do. This part's inclinations to focus externally can lead to a sense that your own needs are not being adequately met. Your self-sacrificer's inclinations can lead to resentment toward those for whom you care and sacrifice, and it can fuel the grievances of angry parts. Another part that can get very into this attacking self is the approval seeker. Right? The approval seeker is very focused on gaining approval, recognition, and attention from other people. So if they shame you, this part's going to go right along with it in order to get their approval. This part is going to bear the shame so that you can be accepted in the effort to make yourself acceptable to somebody else that you feel like you really need. Catholic standard bearers can also attack other parts within you. These are the good boys and good girls in your system, wanting to keep you on the straight and narrow, wanting you to be lovable and good enough in the eyes of God, wanting to try to free you from shame by attacking you. And the same thing with internal critics, right? These are ones who try to protect you and keep you living in a way that's on the right road. So many times there are so many rigid rules and shoulds and the internal critics can cause so much shame within our system, exacerbate shame within our systems. Those all were managers, but I also want to mention one one particular firefighter, and that's the self-punisher. The self-punisher is a firefighter who becomes angry, irritated with you, is punitive, hard, unforgiving, very preoccupied with compensation and atonement and reparation and self-sacrifice in an effort, usually a Pelagian effort, to try to get you to be worthy of the love of God and the love of others. So that is attacking the self. Attacking others. Let's talk about attacking others. Attacking others is an attempt to validate oneself and increase your own felt sense of self-worth by blaming others, cutting them down. And parts that attack others are hoping to find safety that can come from a feeling of superiority and power. So you could have an intimidator part. These are usually firefighters. Intimidators who work proactively to protect you from shame and inadequacy by presenting powerfully to others to induce fear in them in the hope that this will lead them to not feel so threatening to you. Right, that can be a manager. It could also be a firefighter, that intimidator. Many people also have a feisty protector. These are often firefighters, sometimes firefighters who have been exiled. So they're both a firefighter and an exile at the same time. Feisty protectors greatly desire you not to be mistreated any longer and want to set protective limits and boundaries. But the anger can harm relationships with other people. 
Also, your inner critic and your Catholic standard bearer can attack others as well. Let's go to isolating from others. This is the withdrawal. Withdrawal involves seeing the shame as true and valid and feeling that I deserve the shame. And then one withdraws from situations in which shame is experienced. This is an effort to try to minimize exposure to shame, right? To, to remove oneself from situations where I'll experience shame. And here's where we get hiding parts, right? Hiding parts are managers that I find in a lot of people they try to conceal from you the intensity of other parts' experience, keeping other parts outside your conscious awareness so that you won't be overwhelmed with the intensity of their shame or their other emotions. Avoiders are another type of manager who proactively withdraw and avoid other people, detaching from relationships in order to avoid potentially triggering shame and the intensity of shame in your exiles. Detachers are firefighters. They lead you to withdraw from relationships suddenly or impulsively when your excels are threatening to flood your system with their shame. Emotional inhibitors also are firefighters that can shut down the emotional life altogether, including shame. If you think about the different emotions as like different circuits on a circuit breaker, an electrical board, the emotional inhibitors throw the main. They shut down all emotions, right? They throw the main to, to off. So that's the third strategy, isolating from others. The fourth strategy for coping with shame is to avoid inner experiences. And in avoidance, what's happening is that we deny shame's message and we deny the negative experience of self. Avoidance is very different than withdrawal. In withdrawal, the message of shame is accepted and there's an avoidance of situations that, that, that foster shame or that exacerbate shame. But people who are avoiding inner experiences, they are likely to be dominated by firefighters who use distraction techniques in an attempt to avoid feeling bad and to counter negative feelings with positive emotions. They're also motivated to minimize the conscious experience of shame. So shame isn't really accepted with an avoidance a strategy. So a manager here could be a stressed part who proactively distracts you from the intensity of exiled parts by exacerbating your situational stresses in order to focus on your current situational stressors and keep the deeper, more long-standing intensity of your exile shame outside of your awareness. Now to firefighters, there's there is a part that I often call a distractor who redirects your attention and makes it very hard to focus when the intensity of exile's experience becomes more prominent, threatening to break into conscious awareness. Then there's also sometimes the sleeper, right, who may bring on or exacerbate a deep sense of sleepiness or fatigue if certain exiles are activated in order to distract you from the intensity of the shame or other experiences that those exiles are carrying. So that's a way that parts can utilize these different coping strategies around shame, attacking the self, attacking others, withdrawing and isolating, and avoiding inner experiences. We're going to get into these a little, uh, quite a bit more in our experiential exercise, and so I will see you on the other side for that.